Wake up. Alicia Bell is the founder of BLXVC, an angel syndicate of moms mobilizing money for black and brown women entrepreneurs. She's the deal flow lead for Pipeline Angels, a network of women and femmes. Alicia also advises the PayPal Ventures Black Lives Matter Fund and serves on the board for Black Girl Ventures. For more details, go to www.leishabell.com. Hi, I'm Christina Francis. I am the executive director for Jobs for the Future Labs. I am a wife of 18 years, a mother of a 14-year-old amazing black daughter, and of a 13-year-old black son. I am really excited to help people live in their genius. Hello, and welcome to Sisters with Ventures, the podcast where we amplify black and brown women who are angel investors. On this show, we will explore what is angel investing, how to become one, and why would you want to be one. We will discuss how the most marginalized women persevered to the very top of the investing spectrum. Whether you're making money moves or barely making money, listen up. I'm your host, Lee Chabelle, co-founder of BLXVC, an angel syndicate run by Black and Latinx women who are on a mission to represent ourselves and claim our seats on cap tables. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Sisters with Ventures, a show about angel investing where we highlight BIPOC women on their journeys to the top tier of the investment spectrum. And today I'm so excited because I have one of my favorites, and I mean it, Miss Christina Francis with us on the call today. Christina, say hello to everyone. Hi, everyone. Looking forward to this conversation. Leisha, this is exciting. We've been talking about this for years, and so super excited that we can have this conversation. I know. You put me on the podcasting tip, so I kind of owe you one. because you we need, kinda... we need to put that link when you put this out, because <laughs> that was a great conversation at the height of a lot. I'm sure we'll go into it. We'll go into a lot of that. Okay, so let me tell you about who Christina Francis is. She is the executive director of JFF Labs. She has more than 20 years experience in corporate operations, entrepreneurial ventures, management consulting, business development. Before JFF, she served in a variety of roles with Esteem Logic, Booz Allen Hamilton, General Dynamics, and American Institutes for Research. She has a passion for education, empowerment, and wealth building. And... She is the current former chair of the Black Girl Ventures Organization. And of course, she's an angel investor, which is how we met through Pipeline Angels. And she has several other ventures under her throat. And she's also a co-host of the Get Found, Get Funded podcast. So when she's not busy running enterprises, she's a lovely wife and a mother of two children. Christina, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Leisha. Great to be here. So I would love to hear about your origin story. Like, where did you come from? Whose people are you? Tell us a little bit about who you are. 
Well, first and foremost, I'm a child of God. That's my man. <laughs> so I had the pleasure of actually being raised in a multi-generational house. I was raised by my grandmother and grandfather and my mom. And I'll share this because I think it's important to my story is my mom and dad were in high school. So 15 and 16 when they had my brother and I, he's 11 months older than I am. And so my grandparents took us all in. My grandparents both had double master's degrees. And so my wow. grandparents was actually an elementary school principal for 40 years. You know, my wow. grandmother was a teacher, and then she was a principal. Then she opened up Montessori schools. And my mom actually is a teacher, works with paraprofessionals, works with the labor unions. And so education has always been, you know, really important. But growing up, and this is how I feel about it. I have not validated that this is exactly what my grandparents were thinking, but they yeah. really enforced education. And so I went to the best of schools. You know, the money that they invested was always into education for my brothers and I. And so I had the opportunity to go to private schools growing up, and there was no question whether or not I was going to go to college. Now, I mentioned my grandparents had double master's degrees. Both my parents ended up obtaining their GEDs. So one generation, you know, one decision right. changes that wealth trajectory. And that's something that I've been paying attention to as I've been growing just in my investment venture area and also looking at wealth and what wealth building means for Black people and Black families specifically. So growing up, raised by my grandparents, my mom, really, I wouldn't say it was a super traditional household, but we had dinner every night together and talked about everything. And my grandfather was the one who actually taught me how to budget taught me how to save, how to tithe, and how to invest. But again, our investments were around what books am I buying? What sports am I playing? What other activities am I doing? Right. Not necessarily about investing in the way that we're talking about now. You know, when I got older, I found out my grandfather had stocks. You know, he actually had a few <laughs> properties. But growing up, we never talked about that, right? It wasn't... It's a it taboo was or... I just think it wasn't something that was discussed. And my grandfather and grandmother, like many people, feel like education is the route to wealth building. And while right. I think it has its merits, we're learning that education doesn't work the way that we have it for getting your bachelor's degree, it does not work for everyone. And yeah. so looking at optionality is really something that over particularly the last five years that I've paid close attention to. And it started because of my origin, but also the work that we've been doing in investing and watching so many amazing startups and entrepreneurs start their businesses, amazing businesses, but the funding route sometimes kills them and has a negative impact on their family and their ability to build wealth. And so definitely an area that I want to continue to dive in and that I'm making part of my life mission. Right. That's so important. And I just want to kind of dive into what I call like the wealth reset, right? Because it's not that we always don't have nothing. <laughs> it's that we could start with something <laughs> and sustaining that something is really difficult. And why I'm so enamored with particularly black and brown women who are angel investors is because you have to sustain wealth to right. actually <laughs> do that. It's not like a one-time come up. How have you seen kind of that impact? You talk about your grandparents from like a double master's and then a, a teenage pregnancy from your parents and then you coming back into your own understanding. Like how did that inform you? So let me tell you what I did and then how it informed me. So again, they invested in my education. There was no question whether or not I was going to college. It was which college was I going to? And when I 
got accepted to college, I ended up selecting a college that accepted me and allowed me to play a sport and pay me to go, as opposed to actually selecting the college that I really wanted to go to. And so I ended up going to this one college for a year. I knew day one that that was not the college experience that I wanted for years. My brother was at Howard at the time. He was, um, so again, we're 11 months apart. And so he was at Howard in D.C. And I remember visiting him and saying, listen, I really want to go to Georgetown. I'd always wanted to go to Georgetown. So I applied. I did not tell anyone that I was applying <laughs> just in case I didn't get in. I was like, I'm not, I don't want anyone to know that I failed. So I applied and got in and was, one, shocked that I got in. And then, two, made the decision to transfer to Georgetown, which was one of the best decisions of my life. And so that's the other I didn't know about the ability to transfer schools. Someone right. mentioned to me and I went with my gut at the time. And I'm glad that I went with my gut. Ended up being at Georgetown. My brother was at Howard. I think because of that, I had the best college experience in one of the best cities in the world. Ended up yeah. staying here. But the trajectory was go to college, get a job, and then steadily increase your salary, right? For us at that time, wealth was about increasing salary. And so I did that. I worked management consulting for 20 years, continuing to increase my responsibilities, title, and salary, saved money, and then got to a point where I realized there was more that I needed and wanted to do. We didn't talk about entrepreneurship in my house, although my grandmother at one point in time had her own business. And so I saw her leading her own education consulting business after she retired and Decided in 2016 that I was going to leave Booz Allen, which I had been at for 12 years, an amazing institution that taught me so much, but decided I was going to go out and try this entrepreneurial opportunity. And actually, it was literally the week after I left my last day, I was at a women in tech conference and there was a venture capital panel that Natalia from Pipeline Angels sat on. And I had no idea what venture capital was at the time. It wasn't <laughs> part of my vernacular or what I was talking about. But she, as a, just an individual, caught my attention, so I stayed and listened. She was on the panel, and then I think it was four other white venture capitalists. I think they were all men. And I felt like she was talking directly to me. She's like, if you are Black, if you are woman identifying, if you are in the tech field, if you want to start investing in companies, come and talk to me. We want to change the face of angel investing. And I was like, I don't know what angel investing is, but I like <laughs> angels. <laughs> and so let me let me go talk with her and see what this, you know, pipeline angels is all about. And it took yeah. minutes of us really diving in. I said, sign me up. One of the best decisions that I made in my life. It sounds like you said you were kind of in transition. You left corporate America. You decided to be an angel investor. Yep. And <laughs> you have quite a few pivots in your story, right? which I love, right? Like <laughs> this awakening of like, oh no, this is not the school I should be at. Oh, I'm kind of done with this profession, how I do it. Oh, I <laughs> would make it sound like that. Make it seem like I'm quitting. No, it's interesting because I don't feel, while I look back, it is definitely a pivot. Yeah. I think each time was an acceleration closer to where I needed to be with the communities that I needed to work with. So when I left Buzan again, yes, I became an angel investor and Parallel started my own company. So it was actually learning on the job around, you know, starting a business. I'd worked with businesses. I knew all the ins and outs of operating a business, but that starting a business, like the foundational infrastructure building, partnership building, 
it takes a different mindset. And it, right. that was, it was so great to go through that along with learning how to invest in women and entrepreneurs that were starting businesses at the time. When you got into angel investing, what was the most surprising aspect of it? You know, the most surprising aspect were the statistics at the time. I think that was also right around the first Project Diane report that spoke about women invest, women entrepreneurs and particularly black women entrepreneurs getting less than 1%, like less than 1% is 0%. <laughs> and I was just shocked, you know, that married to that black women were starting businesses at rates fi- far higher than any other demographic. And the other statistic that sat with me was that at the time, 98% of businesses started by black women were sole proprietorships, which means right. they weren't hiring any individuals. And that still sits with me today. It's how do we make this not just a lifestyle opportunity, but really truly building a business, You know, creating new jobs for individuals, providing kind of that stability in communities and in industries. I think we're moving towards that now. We started to see a lot of that you've been a huge part of this, Leisha, in some of your work, you know, a huge part of providing more funding to funds and to entrepreneurs and allowing them to be in positions where they can hire people full time, right? It's not exactly full proprietorships doesn't mean that they weren't working with anyone. They just didn't have anyone on as full time staff. They had many folks working with them. And we saw that in the pandemic and COVID in order to get some of the funding, they actually need a full time staff and while they had 15 people working right. with them, they didn't have anyone that was truly not an employee. And I think those are the things that I am just excited to see that changing as we go forward. Yeah. I mean, that was super debilitating for a lot of businesses that couldn't qualify for the PPE loans or even monies that many corporations such as mine were giving away because the accounting didn't demonstrate that or payroll. You know, Christina, there's a theme that I resonate with, and I know many of us particularly black and brown women is like this journey of how do I get closer to community? And right, like, it's like, should I run a nonprofit? You know, a lot of us thought about that and trying to figure out in our own ways, how we do that. And you've done many, many things, even your recent transition to JFF, which is also part of your calling to keep getting closer to that type of community, but also in angel investing and not only investing in entrepreneurs, but advising entrepreneurs and the work you've done there. So I'm going to give a side promo that Christina is handing the torch over to me from her role at Black Girl Ventures, where she was a board chair and was instrumental in the growth of Black Girl Ventures. And I would love for you just to share about what your work was there and the transformation that happened in a relatively short amount of time. (laughs) I mean, that's one of the highlights of my life, right? It's, you don't know that you're going to be part of something always, but that's not true because I knew from the beginning when I first met Shelly, I I literally, you know, I'm a very spiritual person and I believe that part of my assignment was working with Shelly at this point in time. And I so much energy around it. I would wake up thinking about it. We would text all through the night. Anytime there was an idea. When I first met Shelly, it was actually Black Girl Vision. And then she was actually working for Google. Uh, it wasn't quite an organization. It wasn't, an, I thought, an idea that she was building out. And I remember we were at Busboys and Poets, and she was telling me, 
what she wanted to do in the vision and literally writing it on a napkin. And that is so true. And that was our first meeting was at Busboys and Poets. The second was at, it was a coffee shop in DC. And I'll just never forget it because I remember being like, this is going to happen. You are going to create a movement and a change that we have not seen before. And in a way that is authentic and is going to attract black women, moms, people who just don't have a place to go or feel like they have a community. And that was a big part of what she was building was community. Come and learn. So you asked me earlier, what um, what was I most surprised with? So the statistics, but then as I started working with women entrepreneurs, particularly black women entrepreneurs, it was a lack of knowledge of just the resources that were out there. And so when people have the information and they have an in and they have connections to the people who make decisions, things can move faster. And so that's what Black Girl Ventures was doing is really setting that community where you can ask a question and not feel like if you ask the question, you're not going to get the investment. It was a community where you can learn from your peers. It was a community where you can get that first grant or investment to start moving. And so that was 2016, 2017 is where I met Shelly owe me now. And gosh, it was such a fun ride. And I will tell you, there were people that would say to me, you're not getting paid to do this. You know, you're starting your own company, you're doing these things. And I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I'm so, so grateful to have had this experience. And as Shelly, as Omi was building, you know, thinking two, three, four, five years ahead. Yeah, I remember talking with you. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, we're going to bring Leisha in. And I didn't know it. Transition I didn't know it. <laughs> um, it, it was a beautiful setup in part is because and this is where I think people it's a learning lesson for individuals I was the one to help get BGV help Shelly get that off the ground and where it was during post-COVID the board was so engaged everyone was so engaged in right. making sure that the organization was ready to receive additional funding you know when you go from a couple hundred thousand dollar nonprofit to really engaging community in a deeper way and brands in a deeper way, it requires more time, different skill sets on the board. And so I've been excited to be able to help grow the board where it is today. And I do think BGV is one of these organizations that is meant to be around for another 20, 50, 100 years. It's going to be right. a staple, not only for the US, but I believe beyond. And then mostly that any Black girl, Black woman that's trying to start a business, that they go through some part of BGV. And I think that legacy that Omi is leaving is undeniable. She's had the vision for, I think, forever. And just having that team around her, that support team, to get it moving and get it going. I've just been excited for her, for the team, for the entrepreneurs that are being served, for the brands that are working directly with them. Right. Right. This is just the beginning. I'm excited. And uh, we're going to get Shelly on the show, Omi, so she can share her story because it's quite a remarkable story. But I also want to, you know, tell you that Christina is an ecosystem builder. She's a plant. She's a mover. She's a shaker. She's behind the scenes (laughs) doing a whole lot. And I I think part of the beauty of what BGV is doing in the pipeline angels movements and all these organizations is, you know, it helped me find my tribe. Like I was really looking for black women who were enterprising, black women who were investing, black women who cared about community, black women who cared about the future of our children and the world that they're going to live in. Like I was really 
seeking that group of people. And I was so enamored to find that, particularly in Christina. She's everything I want to be when I grow up. I'm trying to keep up with you, Leisha. You are also just making such bold moves and, you know, challenging the status quo and pushing, you know, from a corporation side, the conversations, you know, that I, I, and again, I want to put the link to just the work that you were doing at PayPal at the time that companies like PayPal were in the position to make a change. You yeah. moved it beyond let's make a charitable donation to actually moving right. some funds and capital to changing the trajectory of businesses, thus changing the trajectory and the opportunity for businesses to hire and then changing people's lives in the process. And that leads to wealth building. So listen, yeah. super, yeah. super inspired by that. Yeah, I mean, I think what's beautiful about your story is that every time you moved or pivoted, you were so needed there, you know, and I think about all of us who kind of have that naysayer imposter in our back of our heads, like, no, not now, no, not the time, you're not ready, you're not qualified, like all these things. And it's like, just kicking that out, because it's like, you're needed right now. Like, listen, if you are a marginalized founder, we need you right now. If you are a woman building wealth and want to move your money in, in meaningful ways, we need you like yesterday, you know, and I think it's critical to share these stories. And that's part of the vision of this podcast is like amplifying the stories of regular, ordinary people, <laughs> you know, who just care, have a lot of care. And um, you're definitely one of those people for sure. I know you're also a woman in tech like myself. So I would love to hear, like, why is representation important in technology? For so many reasons. So it's interesting. So I went to Georgetown, got my degree in psychology, and had planned to work for a year and then go back to get my PhD in child psychology. When I started working, it was the, literally the height of the dot-com. And so I was a one weekend to my first job. And they said, can you help out until we were able to hire a database administrator? I had no idea what a database administrator was, but I was like, sure, I'll do it. You know, so enthusiastic. Put, sign me up. Put me in, coach. And when I started asking them, like, well, what am I, what's the role? And they're like, we actually don't know. And so I worked with consultant at the time to build American Institutes for Research, you know, their capabilities around data analysis really early on, working with the consultant. I ended up getting hired by that consultant. My boss at the time at AIR said, listen, we don't have a tech team and you obviously have aptitude and interest. You know, the consultant team wanted to hire me. My salary doubled. So that's one other thing is like knowing right. skill sets are needed, putting your hat in the ring. So I became a C-sharp Java developer, what? <laughs> database administrator, and got into tech for 20 years. And every time a new technology came on board, that was part of my strategy was I will be the first to raise my hand and learn about it because, and pull new people in who, you know, because then it's everyone starting at the same time. That's how I feel about blockchain and crypto. This is the best time for people who right. are in tech to really jump in because it's an even playing field if you're willing to put in the work to learn. And this is the technology of the future. Obviously, there's more AI and others. I'm generalizing with blockchain. I think, yeah, you know, being able to jump in at the time that you're needed, representation means everything, particularly in the work that I'm doing with Jobs for the Future. As we see, there's some people who have never had 
a teacher that looks like them. There's some people who have never seen in industries that they want to be in people that look like them. And so they don't feel that those there's an avenue for them to be successful in it. I was one of those individuals. I was often the only or, you know, the first. And I got used to that. And so I think that helps me now in life. But there are people that won't do something because they don't see themselves in it. So I think it matters from that perspective. I think it matters in the language and how we narrate and storytell around opportunity. And so that's another area that Jobs for the Future right now, we're, we're doing a lot of work in changing the narrative because not every narrative resonates with the people that it needs to resonate with most. And right. everyone has a story. We're really amplifying um, stories with different voices and different pathways to success, you know, Yes, the bachelor's degree is important, and there's evidence that shows that it helps with salary and wealth, and there are other options for people. We want to make sure we're advocating and narrating those pathways as well. And what are some of our biggest hindrances, those who come from non-traditional backgrounds or not the bachelor's route? Like, what is, how does that show up? I think in a couple of ways. Fundamentally, uh, and a lot of corporations are changing this, this policy-wise, you know, we have policies where it's written in that someone must have a bachelor's degree or have a degree right. in a specific or, or major. And that, is, that has hurt a lot of companies from hiring great talent. And it's also prevented great talent from getting into some of these companies. So one, just the policy in and of itself, like changing that. I think the other is, you know, the work-based experience or on the job. Um, again, I didn't have language for apprenticeship, but essentially what happened when I became a database administrator, I was in an apprenticeship, like, you know, work-based learning environment that allowed me to learn on the job. And so I think that's another area is, can we create more opportunities that are work-based learning opportunities for people to learn on the job? A, a lot of the work that uh, folks are going into, you know, whether it's manufacturing or construction or tech, there are opportunities for them to absolutely learn on the job. And so I think having more companies sign up to support that pathway for individuals is a plus. I think the other is just, again, it goes back to knowledge. You know, even while I was growing up, the jobs that my grandfather talked to me about consistently, and he did, he talked to me about jobs, but it was narrowed to what he knew. And it was, you can be a nurse. He didn't talk to me about being a doctor. That's just a whole nother story. You can be a lawyer. You can be a teacher, you can be an administrator. That's what he knew. And that's what he pushed me towards. He was super supportive, but narrowing in his way of thinking. And I think for a lot of families, particularly those who are first generation or whose families are not necessarily in the know of some of the new jobs and new opportunities out there, is how do we educate and create a career and education navigation opportunities for students to learn early on the types of skills that they can learn, the types of certifications the types of jobs and opportunities that they can have, the types of businesses that they can even start a business. You know, we need to start that conversation early and not make it entrepreneurship as a necessity, but entrepreneurship as a career option. Right, right. Um, and what are some things that you're doing with your family to really persist that message? It's so wonderful raising kids right now. And I'm just grateful that I got to really see them grow through the pandemic. I believe we are one of those families that benefited. I benefited as a mom by seeing how my kids navigate their day, 
right? Not just like dinner or a birthday party or a sport, but like their entire day. Like what do they do from the time they wake up? And so one of the things that I've been really thinking about and talking about with my kids is finding out what they love to do and like what naturally do they want to learn about. So my son is into aviation, started with planes and drones and Now he's actually doing flight simulations. For Christmas, we got him a pilot's lessons because that's what he wants to do and what he wants to be. And I said, well, let's figure out how we can make that happen now. Like, what are the things that you're looking at? And so he'll be in high school next year. So we're already looking at potentially him doing dual enrollment. So going to a high school, but taking college courses in the field that he's really interested in. One, so that he can figure out early if he wants to continue But other, if he loves it, why not start building his skill set now? Well, it's not work for him. It's not, oh, my God, I got to learn this. He wakes up thinking about this. I think the other is, you know, I learned the save, tithe, invest. We are now going another level deeper in the invest. And my kids have stocks. They, you know, part of money that they earn from us, they have to invest in a stock. They have to learn about that. And so we're changing their mindsets of not only being a consumer, but if you're going to buy my daughters into fashion, these clothes from said store, right? your stock, learn more about it. And I shared this story previously. It was interesting. I think my daughter was 11 or 12 at the time. This is when we first got them into stocks. She'd invested in Peloton. And so we're on the highway and she saw a van, a truck that said Peloton on it. And she's like, you know, I own that company. (laughs) Yes, you do. But even for her to start thinking that early on and have that natural part of how she sees life and sees the flow of capital and her investment into what she's doing and to thinking about what she's buying, why she's buying it. It's something I didn't start until late in my 30s. And it's really good that I feel like we are able to start them early on. Just that mindset alone, I think, will make difference. I love how she's like, I own that. (laughs) Right? Because (laughs) it's the ownership model. And, you know, I agree with you. I've been watching my daughter in kindergarten Zoom for the past (laughs) few weeks. And it's like, it's a whole nother person, you know, besides her shouting, hey, you guys, listen, you know, being the commander from Zoom. And, (laughs) but, you know, what she naturally navigates to and building that person, you know, I think that has been hashtag blessing <laughs> in the midst of the chaos that is kindergarten Zoom. I love it. I love it. So what was your favorite angel investment? Mm, they're all my favorites. My first one, I think, is the favorite one because it was one of my first one. And I helped lead the due diligence on that one. And it was Go Nanny, uh, Patrice Clark. And I didn't know what I was doing, Alicia. You know, we're learning as we go. I think the model of pipeline was so great because it's a cohort model. And so you you learn from the boot camp and then you actually, again, hands-on learning, invest along with a group. My group, we still talk, we still share investments with one another. So that's over, I guess, four or five years that we've continued. So I think investing with people that you trust and that you can talk through is a great thing. But what I loved about Patrice was that her energy around what she was doing, you know, at the time it was called Go Nanny and it was a ride sharing for families to pick their kids up before school and after school. And it was something that I wish that I had when my kids were younger. Um, But beyond that, beyond the business, she had a solid business model. 
she ended up, because of our investment, starting three months or four months before her targeted kickoff. And part of the reason is she had such a backlog of customers. And the only thing preventing her from starting was that startup capital. And so once we were able to provide that, she was able to get into business. And what I have learned and appreciated about that investment is that my relationship with Patrice goes beyond that investment, right? right. I, I felt like I was learning about angel investing alongside her. Felt like I've grown with her. You know, she wasn't married when we started. She didn't have kids. She does now. And it was just beautiful to learn that the type of investor I am, I build family relationships with the people that I'm investing right. in. It's about the business and it's also about the entrepreneur and being able to be with people during those hard decisions. Like, I don't know if I can keep this person. You know, how do I decide who to keep, who to fire or let go? How do I do that in a dignified way? You know, who do I partner with? How do I think about partnerships? You know, what is my cap table going to look like as I go forward? These type of questions, being able to have those conversations were just powerful. And it started with that investment and it continues with the investments that I've made beyond. I think the other thing that stood up about Patrice was the fact that it was her mom, her sister, her family was engaged at the beginning. And so I love the multi-generational right. you know, eye uh, there. So what would you tell your younger self? <laughs> oh, man. I would tell my younger self, when the idea comes, test it out. Don't wait. I think many of us have a vision or an idea, and we write it in journals year after year, and we may share it with one or two people, but we don't execute on it. And I would say if it comes to you, it comes to you for a reason. Oftentimes, we are uniquely built to do the thing that comes to us. And the reason it comes to us is because no one else can do it. And I have started framing and I tell my kids this, what if you don't do this thing that's coming to you, what about all the people that you're supposed to impact? Then they can't be inspired and then do the mm -hmm. thing that they're supposed to do. So don't let the legacy idea and the opportunity to impact leave because you're afraid to do it or don't think you have time or you had one or two naysayers, you know, not feed into it. Like, just do it. Just move forward. You will fail. Failing is part of learning and you will succeed. And when you succeed, the fueling of the soul to do more that you're supposed to do is unmatched, absolutely unmatched. Right. Right. I love that. I love that message. So how can we support you in all the things <laughs> that you're doing? Well, you're already supporting me by being there for Black Girl Ventures at the time that you need to make this transition for the growth of the organization. So one, thank you. I've been continuing to make space and platforms to amplify stories of people in the space, whether they are investors or entrepreneurs or partners or brands that are now working. I think there's so many brands that I've, PayPal is one, just super excited about changing the status quo and the how we're able to work together and who we're able to work with at the benefit of communities and advancement. And so I think what people can do to help is ask questions, offer assistance. If you can invest, invest. If you can partner, partner. If you can provide advice or skill sets, provide those. And when people are hiring, I'm just going to put this in there. When people are hiring, ask yourself the question, do they really need this X to do the job? Am I making a biased decision based on the status quo? And can I change to bring this amazing talent on 
to help the company and to help this individual. And I would think about that also in terms of advancement and promotion within an organization. But I think let's be human. Let's support one another. Right. That's my ask. I love that. That's a great way to close out this segment. Christina is an angel in real life, not just an angel investor. She truly cares about people and community and it's just shown in her many, many walks. And so I am so honored to have you as a guest on Sisters with Ventures, amplifying the voices just like yours and many others who are doing the work and writing the checks and all the things while mothering and othering. We really appreciate you coming on the show today. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the show. Please subscribe, tell a friend, check us out, let the world know. You can find out more information about this podcast at LeeChabelle.com. And remember, be an angel, invest. Invest.